0: his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leashed into 11-under. We've got a new leader, kids. Here it is! Adam Scott! A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going Inside the Ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au.
1: G'day everybody, welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode 112, another major week, and what a week it has been over at Royal Portrush. Uh, we'll pull that apart, uh, we'll look forward to the heavy arm, talking about Brett Coletta whose stocks can continue to rise on the second tier over in America, and we've got a special one in store today. Bryony Lyle, the wife of Jared Lyle, is going to join us uh, in the studio for a chat about the upcoming release of the book, which has been written by my two Co-hosts on the show today, Mark Hayes. Hello, Murray. Hello to you. And Martin Blake. Hello, Gazelle.
2: Hey, Andy and uh, Hazy. Hey, Blakey. Looking what a nice it. thought, a bit of Guinness in the
1: claret jug. Well, the Irish story <laughs> was just magnificent, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was ever-present. I mean, from day one when McElroy had the horror show and then the fight uh, back. Before that, Clark, the first oh, What a yeah. round he played. Lit it up. And then the calamity that he endured on day two. Yeah. And then the you know the walks McDowell had to grind to yeah. make it, and then the two walks I up eighteen. On,
2: McDowell was crying on the first tee. No first doubt he day. was. He
1: seemed to wipe away something that looked very yeah. similar to a tear. So yeah. you <laughs> think about what it's meant for those guys, you know, to lobby and push, yep. and say we can do this, we can host this event. Um, they, they've kind of forced the issue to a large degree, and then you know one of their republic colleagues bobs up and wins the whole thing. And it's just a the Irish story around Portrush is unbelievably fantastic.
3: We we sometimes split Ireland and Northern Ireland, and obviously in most sports cities that way. But you know, there is rugby and there is golf where it's not. And I think the union between the, pardon that use mm. of that word, the union of the Irish golfing fraternity is very powerful. Um, it, it doesn't matter like that. So the border comes down. The border comes down to yeah, golf. It's um, Ireland. It's yeah. Ireland, and I, it, I it's so powerful and awesome. And I guarantee you in 20, 25 years time, there'll be another Irish winner of this thing because there's a dozen kids there today who who will be vaguely yeah. talented enough, who will have that drive in them right now. And I think the impact of this on Irish golf will be, um, it'll be a long and ongoing story. I, and, you know, among the first people to congratulate, um, Lowry, when he walked off the 18th green, Harrington and McDowell were right there. Yeah. That, when does that happen? Yeah. You know, it was was awesome. The Irish thread through the whole thing was unmistakable and just powerful.
2: So, Did you watch much of Saturday, Andy?
1: Yeah, and I started up. That's
2: some of the most memorable stuff you'd ever see because clearly he jumped out of the pack and he looks like he's got a chance to win. You know, this is a guy from the Republic of Ireland, remember? We've just spoken about that. But here he is in Northern Ireland and the crowd going ballistic for him. So exactly as you said, Hazy, he, he united Ireland. Yep with one round of golf, which was an unbelievable 63 on Saturday. And then for him to hold on, I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't super on Sunday in the last round, but he was, he was good enough, well and truly. And, and
3: he actually mentioned in his presser afterwards um, how he thought some people had driven up because he saw a lot of people from, from air yeah. who'd come up. Um, well, I'm not sure if that's true because it was fully ticketed, you know, a light year out. You know, this was this is Ireland coming out party, the Irish Open at Le Hinch before we spoke about repeatedly in the past few weeks. But and you know, there's been some epic Irish Opens the last few years with Rory sort of putting it back on the map. But this was this was next level. This is this is I reckon you, this this is a bit airy fairy. But you can imagine if Australia didn't have a Grand Slam tennis tournament and then the Australian Open came. Yeah, this was the world. There, you yeah. know, this is so powerful. I, I I'm
1: thrilled for them. Thrilled, and they're such a good people. Quarter of a million people, just under quarter of a million people turned up. I mean, the numbers amazing for a tiny place that was questioned, yeah. um, it, it, in a, in and of its ability to host an, an event, an, an event like the magnitude of this. Uh, they've risen to the challenge. I mean, I, I, I haven't heard any stories about uh, logistical nightmares. No. I, I haven't heard it. There's no massive freeways in. There's no massive freeways out. It's not. There's no huge, you know, kind of corporate hospitality um, and accommodation set up there. But it sounds like that the the Antrim, the, the people up there in that part of the Antrim Coast have been able to kind of host this thing magnificently. Oh, I think
2: it's a triumph for Total. Royal Port Rush. It, it looked magnificent. It played great. I love watching golf where the greens, if you don't hit it to the right part of the green, the Ball gets repelled off. What a joy! The run off to see the ball run off the green and then to test the short game rather than run into six inch deep rough. How good was that? How good was it? Putters, the ball runs shot, off. They got to shot. putt it. They got to flop it up. You know, and the guy who
1: wins it got one of the best short games you'd ever see. You, you wonder whether you know there's and we understand there's different um, environmental factors that go into the building of courses and there's different you know a set a sand dune. Link's course is different to an inland course in a low uh, lying kind of area down the south of the Amer- south of the United States, and we understand the different top- topographical and geographical challenge that that go with them. But you wonder whether there's designers of golf courses in America who look at the way it played the ball run runoff you know runoff areas of greens and the variety of shots that you as a golf course architect, are asking players to produce, to to meet the challenge of your golf course. You wonder whether there's designers in America who go. Jesus, the thing I build, the things I build in Carolina, and they are boring. No, nah, I don't reckon. I don't right. think they. I don't think they
3: are either. But <laughs> that said, though, there are you know the ones that, and I haven't been to any of these courses. But they're the ones in the middle that sand. Well, I can't even. Yeah, that, it, but, it, yeah, yeah. Um, in is it in Nebraska or somewhere yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. And the abandoned dunes is obviously yeah, a little yeah. different and. We saw the one at um, Chambers Bay, Chambers Bay yeah, and yeah. Aaron Hills, and yep. obviously Shinnecock's got a bit more linksy runoff, as Blakey put it there about it. So there are some, but God, the difference in watching that compared to the dross that you get served up every week on the US Tour is just—it's beyond chalk and cheese. I don't know what the bigger difference
1: is. So, so he's clearly an enormously popular winner, and you know he—he he, he takes you on the ride with him a little bit. He's not hiding behind sunglasses, and he's not, a, he's not a robot. He's not a give me the number. And sure i sure how I'll, much time
2: he spends in the gym.
1: With the, well, that's right. He's a human <laughs> being. I mean, the blokes are clearly a, just a human being beyond obviously being an enormously gifted golfer. Um, and I say that, you know, with full understanding of the context of what it is to be that. He's not just a bloke who lined me up, give me the number, and I'll play the shot. He's not that at all. Uh, the magnitude of what he was living through uh, and what he stood up through, particularly on the Sunday, if you saw him hit his first drive, the lead up to, the emotional support, the will of those Irish supporters yeah. on that first two. Come on, Shane, we want you to. Even though he had a four-shot lead, and every
2: walkway between oh. between the the green and the next tee, you know those one meter wide walkways, yeah. and
1: people <laughs> reaching in and screaming in his yeah. face. Come yeah. on, Shane, you know, but he embraced like, it, didn't he? He did, he did, and it was beyond words, and he couldn't put it into words what the magnitude of what he'd achieved. Uh, post round it was fantastic to listen to him
2: if you know what i'm saying like that's kind of the way
3: i don't really know what i'm saying to be honest about <laughs> it.
1: it's
0: been a long day lads no, i just love everything about he's him a, he's yeah. a cracker
2: he actually had a, a nice exchange with hazy didn't he uh,
1: yeah well you know you, you uh, have, hazy yeah, yeah well, he's, he's, that's he's World a friend,
3: friend of the podcast uh, Yeah, but, you know he's he actually volunteered his time to to come in and sit with us. And he sat through a few tech issues <laughs> that we had out at Metro and didn't bat an eyelid and just happy to sit there and yak. And he was so normal and just a lovable guy. You know, you just you, you wanted to see him go well after he'd spoken to you. And he gave me a bit of a few clips, which were funny. And um, we revisited a couple of them on Twitter through um, Inside the Ropes and also Justin Falconer during the week yeah. when he's clearly going well. I, it was a great story that John Huggan uh, wrote this morning um, about – um, Pete Cowan, who's actually Kepka's coach. Um, he was asked to come across, um, it must be a dozen or so years ago now, 15, maybe <clears throat> and assess the Irish boys team at the time. And they, cause they were all, they had a great bunch of kids coming through and, um, they were all really high on what McElroy could be. And they wanted an objective outside opinion. So Cowan came across and said, yeah, no, Rory's going to be great. You know, just stick with him. But, um, the next thing he said, uh, Rory's going to be great. But there's another good one out there, the little, the little fat lad with the glasses.
2: <laughs> yeah, at the that time was... he had spectacles. Yeah. Uh, I read that piece and he, he said some interesting things, Andy, afterwards because this time last year he missed the cut at Canusti. is that right? Yep. Yeah. Sat in the car crying. Yeah, uh, right. He was having a real, real down patch. He hadn't done much for a while. Changed caddy after that. Did a few things, changed a few things up. But he just wasn't enjoying the game. Uh, he came back at the start of this year, you probably watched this, he won a tournament in the United yep. Arab Emirates. Yep. Uh, you know, he, he look, did you think that he was ever gonna throw it away? I must admit on the first first hole, you know, he's he's butchered it into the into the bunker and ended up making a bogey and Fleetwood had a, a, bogey, a pretty man. makeable well he had to make a oh, yeah. I'm gonna say ten foot for for, for bogey. Uh, it looked like it could have been a, like a three-shot yep. swing because Fleetwood hit it in close, and it just at that moment that was probably the one moment where I thought maybe, maybe he might get nervous because we knew, you know, everyone knew that he'd he'd led the U.S. Open at Oakmont uh, into the last round and and basically didn't play very well. So,
3: I think that was a really good point, Blakey, and and, and uh, he made, he referenced that in his press conference too because he actually said, "I could have got a real scare early." I was staring at my four shot lead becoming one in five mm. minutes of golf. All of a sudden, I still had a three shot lead, and I, I actually walked off going, "Ah, Man. I'm I'm, I'm yep. alive here. Yep. Like I'm not going to suffer some inglorious embarrassment." Um, and then, obviously, you know, he played fantastic golf in the middle part of that front nine to sort of reestablish that lead and 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 stretch it. So he had breathing space. Um, I, I I I if I clearly wanted an Australian to win, but that's a really good result other than that for me. I yeah. he's a really nice guy. Yeah. Which con- conveniently Andy might bring us to another couple of stories that were whizzing around through the tournament. Go on. Oh, well, you know, someone's asked me on Twitter. Yeah. What's the next level up? Um, after we put someone in the banister file, Oh god. what's the next level up of ways we can punitive continue to change? Yeah. Punitive measures. Or yeah, mm. we'd like to get to punitive measures, but I think mm. it's out of our scope, unfortunately. <laughs> but, my God, if there's an applicant for, for that, you know, justice system, J.B. Holmes has turned in one of the most disgraceful four days for golf etiquette I've ever seen. He was, he was You had him on the clock, didn't you? I, well, you know what? I put him, I was day two, beautiful day, late in the day, not a breath of wind. He's playing with Ernie Ells and someone else. They all hit good drives down the middle on eighteen. Ernie plays his shot well, and by the time the ball rolled, stopped rolling, he was actually on the side of the fairway, buggering around with his caddy in a bag, and wasn't even near it. And they had to start going measure their um, shot in mm. for the second, like middle of the fairway, perfect conditions. After Ernie's shot, Thinking, oh, I'm going to start watching this, and I rewound it and taped it. So from the second that Ernie's ball stopped on the green till the second that. Um, Holmes hit the ball was 74 seconds last night in the, we're recording this on Monday morning last night when he was announced onto the first tee, it took him 62 seconds from his name to hitting the ball. He didn't, he didn't have a a club selected. Ridiculous. He didn't have a line picked out. Ridiculous. I mean, bug me dead. This is unbelievable. And then snap hooked it out of bounds. And we'll talk about his out of bounds play in a second, but he that shot. He's played in his mind. 250 times after his 54th hole. Like that is a three iron if I've got the wind behind me. That's a driver. If it's a cross, I hit a cut. Perfect. Easy. It's easy. He it actually That's, overthought it. the bloody thing. Yep. I'm really angry about it, Andy, because not only did he butcher his own thing and make the watching of the best tournament in the world harder than it need be, he stuffed up Brooks Kepka mm. monumentally. Like it, it, Brooks Kepka was always going to have a tough challenge. I want him to make history. Is he the most likable guy? Probably not. But I want him to have a crack at history here. And he's a fast player. He's a fast oh, you player.
1: Could, I reckon you could tell he was – I reckon you could just tell he was out of – He was out of reason. You know, he totally. was. Yeah.
3: So mm. on the, about the 12th hole, um, it would just hit Twitter like a rash. Kepke walks off, starts tapping his arm mm. um, to the official, yep. rules official, where his watch would be if he had one on. All it's right. like – what you know, come on. This is it's beyond sunny. the pale. Like it's yep. it's beyond the joke. It's killing me. He's mm. killing me. Mm. Um and there's some, some great memes and some, you know, some really funny, incisive commentary on it I, I find on mm. Twitter. Um so clearly it was going to be a talking point after the round. And if you can I read Andy, what is oh, pl-
1: yeah, go hard.
3: This is the guy chasing history here, and he's ended up becoming only the fifth person to ever finish top five in all four majors in a year. So, you know, a win two seconds and now a tied fourth, Brooks Kepka. There are a lot of slow guys out here. That's not the first time I've done it, especially when you've got a walking official with you. So he's in reference to tapping his arm. I'm I'm ready to go most of the time. That's what I don't understand. When it's your turn to hit, your glove is not on, then you start thinking about it. That's where the problem lies. It's not that he takes that long. He doesn't do anything until it's his turn. That's the frustrating part. But he's not the only one that does it out here. Uh, uh. Well done, Brooks Kepka. Yep,
1: that's what it's going to take. Because you're just
3: yep. you, you're you're killing the game, yep. JB Holmes. And it, look, is it JB Holmes' fault specifically? No, I'll cut him some slack. The Jeez, rules? You're, being, you're being generous. Well, I am, but yep. there are other. He's people. He's been
1: around for long enough to know now what people are saying about him, and he's been oh, and he's a and he's a professional, and he, he should have. He should have moderated his own behaviour.
2: And he's not the only one playing. I understand that's that. what I'm saying. But, but that's I understand but he, that. But he's oh. playing. He's not the only one playing. Therefore, he has to think about. That, that's other right. People.
1: Oh, sorry. That's right. I mean, you're both right. Your yeah. Your you, you take mm. on exactly the mm. same thing is both equally mm. accurate and right.
3: My, my my gripe with it, Andy, is that the tour knows this of stuff. Of course. And the tour's got to start taking some action. This is a bloke who has money set aside. To pay his yep. slow play yep. fines at the start yep. of the year, he budgets for this stuff. He budgets mm. like a hundred grand for slow play f- fines. Yep. that's that's total BS. He's it's
2: been unapologetic, BS. hasn't he? He, he? I've heard him. I've heard him speak about it before, and he just said, "Well, look, I, I'm pay, playing for zillions of dollars." take you know, it away from mind. him. you? Yeah. Yeah, can
1: you not playing this week, mate? Mm. You know, next what you're not playing next week, so that that'll hurt. So. So yeah, he shot 87. JD he shot 46 Hunt. the back. He shot 46 the back. 41, 46. 16 so, over he shot.
3: So tell me what else he said, Andy. Don't. No, you tell me what. When he was hit. When, so oh, he, oh, so, so he snipes, on the eighth hole, he snipes his,
1: one left off the first uh, tee and, and he stood, stared at it like, what's happened there? Yeah, he stood there for about 30 seconds, did not move. Yeah. I think it was on the eighth. He's hit one left, you know, like 30, 40 metres left of the left edge of the fairway. And he's in shin high, you know, vegetation. And he walks over there and the, the, cameras, the audio on the camera picked it up clearly. He's, talking to, he's, he's sort of talking to himself because I'm sure his caddy's not even listening to him anymore. But he said something like, um, you know what, I'll tell you something. I've got the worst lies. I, I've just been getting the worst lies this week. Which will Give happen a if you it in the mulga. Give me a spell. Don't hit it there. And if, how you hit it there and expect to get a decent lie. I mean, look, the bloke said, woe is me. It, it, it's not about him. I, I'm, glad, I'm glad it was not a train wreck. I really am. I mean, at the end of the day, there needs to be a big focus on what he, how he just tanked it. In the last, and I'm sure he did. I mean, I'd stop watching him for a while. But, I mean, his back nine was par, triple, double, par, bogey, par, bogey, double, double. I mean, that's, you know, you talk about that's the unprofessionalism. Calmer. Of course, it's karma. The unprofessionalism of his complete disregard for the rest of the field and his direct playing partner and just the right thing to do in terms of the game. But he's got he's got his right whack, and that, yeah, that's, he has, you know. Oh, but and further even further than this,
3: I really feel for Brooks Koepka. and the other people no in the field? But yep. I, yep. this is one of two times in the men's game for the year. Maybe there's the U.S. Women's Open, outside team events like Ryder Cup, etc., where the world of sport actually stops and watches golf. Mm. You know, this is a moment in the sun. You know, probably because I've had it on for. Thirteen hours a day for the last four days, but my wife actually sat and watched five minutes of it with me. Yeah. You know, she, as lovely as she is, she couldn't care less about it. And she, but she's going, "Oh, this is cool. It's a good looking course, whatever." Yeah. She can admire the beauty of it all. She goes, God, this guy's slow. She actually, yeah. Yeah, recognized that. Yeah, and it's wife. like, yeah. well, you know, yeah. this is the shop window of golf. Yeah. It, you know, this is if we have twice a year in the men's game where we can actually um, put it out there, and this idiot is selfishly. Taking that away and making people question, I oh, yeah, that 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 reinforces my thoughts on golf. Mm.
1: You're that's a disgrace. That is an absolute disgrace, JB Holmes. Here, yeah. uh, So, Lowry replicates what he did uh, as back in 2009 when he wins the Irish Open and signals to the world that this guy can deal with inclement weather and some of the other issues that tournaments deal up. Uh, he beats Fleetwood by six. Uh, Finau shot the best round of the. Uh, top seven or eight. Uh, Robert McIntyre's a name you want to put in your black book. I mean, Lefty. he shoots three under the kid from Scotland. He's going to be a very. He's, he's already a very good player. This kid. Yeah, watched watch him play the Australian Amateur um, a few oh. years ago at Yarri Yari. Um, that was he, he's a good player. There's a he's few, gol- there's he's few a good. He's a golfer. Yeah, he really is. He's a golfer. He can deal with crosswinds and gusts, yep. and he can make it up. He can, he, he's more than just the number. Yeah, uh, which yep. is exactly what Shane Lowry is. The Australians. Uh, not not a great not a great weekend uh, not a great week for this. Cam team. Smith was twentieth,
2: Ter- um, terrific, somewhat disappointing weekend. You know he, he was in the mix through two rounds, uh, just couldn't make a putt on Saturday and then shot seventy six in the tough conditions and spoke he spoke a bit about that afterwards, saying he, you know he found it unbelievably tough. The Sunday, uh, albeit that Molinari shot 66, didn't he? But I guess... A bit, you know,
3: bit different the conditions that Molinari 66 came in than what happened afterwards. Yeah, it, it
1: did turn. It, it, did. Got, it got worse
2: as the day. It deteriorated they, Everyone the else day. missed the cut, which... Yeah,
1: it was poor, wasn't it? Yeah, it I'm, was poor. I'm really,
3: really surprised in um, Adam Scott that he didn't... I, I, he doesn't have to win, but I thought he'd be in the mix the whole way. Um, Leachman just... Just didn't have it, and that's that's fine. He, they've both got a lot of credits in the bank. Adam uh, Josh, Jason no, Day is, is the is one. Is I, the one. I,
1: I, I he was in contention after twelve on the second day. Well, he had a putt.
3: He had a putt there to get into the top ten
1: yeah.
3: at the yeah. time, and you think, oh, this is really good. We're going to have two in the top ten going into the weekend. That's an outstanding representation. And then lo and behold, five holes later, he's had four four bogeys and a double, and he's on the wrong side of the cut line. And he sat around for five hours waiting to see if it. Moved back out to him, and it never did. And he's on his way home. And I, uh, I don't know that I, a little inside the ropes, something exclusive because I did see it somewhere else too, but close enough to it. Andy, the, the, he refused, and I really don't like this. He refused to talk to the media on both days, Thursday and Friday. And the last was seen of him was walking down a little laneway at the back of the media at uh, the score return area, uh, and he was having apparently a quite a heated conversation with Stevie Williams. So, um, you know, whether that's just assessing the play or whether it's a discussion that Stevie Williams has had a few times with people, I don't know. but you know, And we'll never know because Jason Day didn't stop and talk, which is, I don't think, good enough.
2: Yeah, I think Jason's in a frustrating period. He hasn't won for well over a year. And for a player of that talent and the the amount of work that he puts in, you know, that's going to frustrate him. And now you see him... Go for Steve Williams, which is you know an interesting move. It's a Hopefully, big call. It works, yep, but, yep. You know, he's just starting to really feel it. I think. Yep, no doubt. A big shout oh, did to you see much of Tiger.
1: Uh, he looked oh, sore, didn't he? He, I thought he's post. His post. Now, Jason Day, take a note. Tiger fronts up after the first round seven over, and knows he's probably played himself out of the tournament. He's that far away from what the cut lines likely to be. He busted a gut to try and get back into yep. the tournament on the Friday. But his post round press conference after the opening round was about the most, um, whatever the, ho- the complete opposite of hubris is. It, it was, la- it was layered with that. It was yeah. an admission that I'm, I'm a 40 year old man. It was an admission that I can't do what I used to do. Yeah. Um, mortality set in, uh, I need to be, I need to, I can't cut it with these blokes unless I've got, Everything going my way nowadays. So it was, it was the most refreshingly human and honest um, yeah, forty-five second grab from Tiger. Yeah. I reckon I've just about ever heard. And it, uh, clearly, he didn't um, play
2: in between, did he? You know, no. he had weeks and weeks and weeks off, and it, it's not the best preparation. But clearly, he feels that you know he needed to get his back right. He didn't look right at the PGA, did he? So he uh, played ten
3: rounds between the Masters yeah, and the Open. Not so.
2: ideal, and he knows that. Uh, but he's trying to
1: let his back settle yeah, down. He just can't get the reps in that he used to, obviously, As- you know.
3: Aside from all the gibberish that came out of Nick Faldo's mouth at little <laughs> times <laughs> during the, the telecast, uh, did you know he was a helicopter pilot? Oh,
1: Andy? we learned a lot about Nick.
3: Um, yep. He actually said something to me about Tiger that was really eye-opening, Blakey, which was um, he thinks he can only play in hot conditions now. Yeah, yeah right. So if it's, if, it's, you know, if it's 33 and 85% humidity, mm. Tiger's a chance. But if he's mm. got to get out there and grind in 15 in a sideways wind, um, he's in trouble because he literally won't be able to swing and rotate and everything. So uh, take it for what it's worth, but it's actually statistically this year been evident. It was pretty warm at Augusta and he was mm. swinging like he was mm. 35. Mm. It's um, cold at Port
1: Rush and um, Pebble Beach and he swung like he was 65. Jack safe. Mm. Oh, Jack's oh. well and truly so. I mean, you made your point known about this the last two yeah. and a half years. So, but yeah. some people got caught up post Augusta, didn't they? And thought, oh, yeah. it's back on. But and the PGA, which he you know nearly won so yeah. last year. So, I mean, he, you know, it, but it's, it's not going to happen. Clayton yeah. makes a
3: good point about that. He's got he's got to have a, you know a, a, a Hall of Fame career post age, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever he is forty, yeah. rising forty four. To beat Jack, to yeah. beat Jack, it's not going to happen.
1: No. Um. Bri Lyle going to join us. We're going to talk about the book that you two, uh, you two great men have put together, uh, celebrating the life of Jared Lyle, the inspiring story of one of sports true fighters. It's called My Story. We're going to talk about the, the book uh, with the wife of Jared on the other side of the break. Uh, before we wrap it up, Brett Coletta, we're going to talk about where he's at right now, the upcoming huge stretch for the women's game, a couple of majors in the offing. We'll talk about all of that. Before we get to the end of it, you're listening to Inside the Ropes, episode 112.
0: The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your Golf Link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen To Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf.
1: Welcome back to the show. Uh, Regular listeners to Inside the Ropes uh, will know that um, not only has there been a lot of love uh, around this table and around this room for Jared Lyle over the journey, but the two, uh, two of my regular, well, my co-host, Mark Hayes, and one of the regular correspondents here at Inside the Ropes, Martin Blake, have been working on Jared Lyles' book, My Story, uh, which is, well, it's, I have it in my hand. Hey, we got a special guest to talk about the book. Before we get the special guest, I, I have the book in my hand, you two. Does that mean it's now officially available or uh, not? You can pre-order
2: it. Right. I know that much. If you go to the Challenge website, Challenge C- Cancer Network, uh, you can pre order it. I believe it's available on pre order at Booktopia as well, but it'll be in the shops very soon. So by the time people listen to this, Hazy, it probably will be. Yeah, don't in worry the about shops.
3: Booktopia. Just go through the challenge website, Bugger Booktopia. Yeah, well, we yeah. want
2: every bit going to challenge. Absolutely.
1: Because, so, because proceeds from the sale of the book, you tell me.
3: Yeah, well, our special guest will be able to tell us a lot more about it, but the proceeds go to not only to challenge cancer generally, but um, also to um, Jared's gift. Which is something we've mentioned a fair bit on the mm. on the podcast, but our special guest will be able to tell you a lot
1: more about it. Well, the special guest is Bryony Lyle, of course, the wife of Jared Lyle, uh, and she joins us. How lovely to see you! Thanks for uh, being here. It's good to have you in the room.
4: Thank you. I've never done a podcast before, so uh, it's just like talking first. amongst <laughs> old friends. Just, <laughs>
1: just got to have you know somewhere near the black thing, and then yeah. you just talk. Okay, it's actually. Um, this
3: is the first for Briar. She's, she's going on the hustings, Andy. She's going on the promotional tour.
1: Well, you've sort of been doing it for a while, to be honest. I mean, anybody who turns up to a golf tournament in Australia and has done over the last, oh, God knows how many years it is now, knows that you've sort of been on the journey for a long time. I mean, the book takes it to a different level. But in terms of the work that you've been doing uh, and you and Jared were doing, um, you've been doing this for a little while now.
4: Yes. the the I have. Um, not something I thought I would ever get into, mm. or I don't know if, you know, not something I look forward to doing necessarily, but yeah, it's just something that's, that's come out of all of this. Um, mm. And especially with the book, I'm so passionate about it that um, I have put my hand up and said I'm prepared to do whatever it takes to let people know about it. So if that involves interviews and whatever, then, you know, I'm, I'm available to do that. So
1: why have you felt through what you've been through so personally with, you know, the man that you love so much, why have you felt that since Jared's last battle, why have you felt the need to continue to work in this space? You've done enough. You've been through enough, some people would say. Why do you want to keep going?
4: Um, I I think, I don't know, is the answer Mm. to that. And I've done everything I can really to to do more and more and more lately. And I think that's actually helped, um, as part of the grieving process as well. Mm. Um, rather than kind of turn away from the things that we were doing, I've actually turned towards it and I spend my days now, you know, I say his name a hundred times a day because <laughs> I'm working on the various things, um, a challenge in his name. So it just, um, maybe helps to normalize it a bit, I guess. And s- some people have said to me that maybe the, what I should be doing is actually stepping away from challenge and not being around other families and children, especially that are, that have cancer. But it's the last thing I want to do right mm. now, because they're the people that Jared wanted to help. And I don't want to step away and make them feel like they've been forgotten through all of this. So, cause that's not what he would have wanted. And we've actually been given this, not that we wanted the outcome that we got, but we've actually been giving this quite incredible platform and opportunity to, um, do more in his name and in his memory. So I'm quite determined to, um, I guess, take advantage of that opportunity while it's, you know, (laughs) while it's available and, um, get the most out of it.
1: Does it keep him, is it in a kind of crazy way? Does it keep him with you a bit alongside? The fact that...
4: He... Oh, I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is, I can almost hear his voice, you know, uh, in my ear. A lot of the things that I do during the day, I have him, I can hear his, you know, two cents worth, you know, yeah. telling me whether what I'm doing is something that he would agree with or not agree with or whatever. So, yeah, no, it's, does he, it's does really Does the voice
3: interesting. say, Dal? <laughs> yeah,
4: what was it? Hun? Um, no, Chalk. He used to Chalk. call me Chalk <laughs> right. for some ridiculous reason. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> Yeah,
1: uh, Have the boys done a good job with the book? There's a thousand things to talk to you about. But yeah. we are here to talk, you know, about the story that you've been through and the book. And yeah. um, you've clearly read it. What do you yeah. reckon? <laughs> they're, they're here, but they'll turn, <laughs> you know, so be gentle. But be have they gentle. done a reasonable job with it?
4: I think they've done a great job. They've done a great... I, I actually, I'm, I want you to ask them questions about it. Because oh, no, of course. from their point of view, um, it was... Even getting them on board in the first place was a bit of a an odd experience because I was talking to Hazy about and getting his advice on how to go about it and how do you get a rider. And, how, and it wasn't until a few weeks into it that I said to him, hang on a minute, <laughs> would you like to do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then with, with Blakey, his name came up really early on, but he was unavailable because he was too busy.
2: Yeah, I, I knocked it back.
4: <laughs> I actually knocked
2: this thing back because I had some other – Books to do, and I had a lot of work on it. And I thought I, I don't really need another one, but unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but uh, Mr. Hayes prevailed on me in the end and said, "Well, if I'm doing this, you're doing it." So we're Origin both both good oh. mates with Jared. Uh, you know, it's something that it's important for people to know that it's something that he really wanted to do, mm. didn't he, Bry? He, yeah, wa- he, he wanted was, to yeah. kind of leave. It, you know, he, he he at the time was waiting for his. When, when we sort of signed the deal and started talking to him, he was waiting to have his third um, stem cell transplant. Uh, so he was battling leukaemia for the third time. And uh, he wanted to, you know, he knew that his life was in danger. So he, he wanted to kind of have something left behind in a, in a way that was written down, didn't he?
4: Yeah, but I think if you remember too from early on um, with our discussions and when you started recording him, he had every intention of being... On the book tour, if there was such a thing at the end of it, he he could see a lot of opportunities, hopefully coming out of it with um, with regard to life after golf and things like that. So he was yeah. actually really looking forward to what would happen, what his yeah. role in it would be once it was published, and and he'd be able to get out and share yeah. his story. Yeah. Well, if you're
2: going down that track, I mean, in the in the writing of the book that Hazy and I did, you know, to be. To be brutally honest, it, it was meant to be a story of triumph, yeah, uh, yeah. and it was heading yeah. that way. It was yeah. heading that way a year and a half ago, yeah. um, because we were going uh, to publish. Unfortunately, it went the other way.
4: Remember, we were actually going to publish mm. halfway through.
3: Yeah, well we had, last year. Yeah, we had a um a meeting. Andy, Blakey, and I it was just it was just a catch up more than anything. Blakey and I went to a little um cafe in uh, Kensington, just near North Melbourne. Uh, middle of March, maybe roughly 20th of March last year, 2018. And we were sitting out there. It was a beautiful day. And, and Jared basically had three weeks until he got the tick of being a hundred day survivor again. And that's the milestone. And at that time we were like, well, we can get this done. We should be right early April. We should be get the tick and we'll go. And the book was going to be sort of, um, you know, like May, June, maybe last year, yeah. Father's
4: Day last year, maybe I think yeah, maybe we yeah, were yeah get it printed in May, yeah,
3: and then have it ready for Father's Day last year, and then obviously things turn not long after that. But I remember that that, that day will live with me for the rest of my life because we sat there and we were yeah. it was almost a congratulatory sort of moment. You know, it was a it was the three of us having a bit yeah. of a. We, and what was he like? He, what was Jared
1: he, like? Uh, can you remember clearly how he very was? Very
3: vividly, yeah, uh, upbeat and doing the things. Um, Verbally, probably for the first time, he was very confident yeah. doing the things that Bri just mentioned, mm. like starting to plan, daring to plan.
4: Yeah. And, that, he's, and he came home soon afterwards, I think, not long after you yeah. you met with him. But at that stage, he was bored in Melbourne. Mm. He was sick of you know, being, you know, in the apartment and hospital visits or whatever. He was ready to come home. And, um, yeah, and weeks later we were discussing – because you uh, you can't stop him but we were discussing another return to golf at the 2020 <laughs> Aussie Open that that's was right. that's going to be played um, here in Melbourne yeah. Yeah. yep
2: so uh Bri, he didn't think that he could come back and play on the tour anymore no. did he but he felt like he wanted to come back and play a tournament and say hey I'm still mm. yeah, yeah that, that was in discussion
4: yeah, yeah absolutely just just one more and he'd always um he people had said for years that They'd love to read his story, and he should write something. And he never thought he would always say, but, "But why? I haven't really achieved anything professionally, and that's what he was looking for." And and he he always thought, "I am going to wait for, um, you know, like that triumph." Yeah, the triumph, either to you know win a major or win on tour or something, and that would be the pinnacle of his career and the catalyst for. Writing the story, you know, like if you're about to retire or whatever, you know, and the book comes out or you win the Tour de France and then you write your book about, you know, your career or something. So So did he
1: never really have, did he have a clear sense at any stage to that exact point, how people saw his triumph way beyond winning a golf tournament? I the don't fact that he just know. stayed upright in the face of it yeah. for as long as he did.
4: I don't think he did necessarily. I think he was waiting for triumph. Yep, the way no. he defined yes. it. Yes, yeah. 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 He's a
3: sports person, yeah. not, not, yeah, a, sport. not a patient. Yeah, you know, yeah. if he if he defined himself yeah. as a patient, I reckon that would be different. But.
4: Yeah, and years ago, I remember it was before um, his second diagnosis in the US. An article came out in the back of beyond, you know, the Arkansas weekly time, something or other, and about him, I, I don't know, even know what, what the context of it was, but it was cancer survivor, Jared Lyle. Yeah. And he, him and I had a, had a conversation around the fact that he wishes it, they didn't have to mention the cancer every time. He wanted an article to be just about him playing, playing golf. golf. Yeah, yep. And then he got diagnosed a second time and we had a bit of a laugh saying, there's no way you're ever going to lose that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that tag now.
1: So you, you, going back to something you said before and, and kind of at this juncture when things were looking really positive and then took the turn, uh, it, it, that bloke over there, Mark Hayes, I'm looking at Martin Blake right now, he's more than capable of writing this book on his own. But I suspect he needed he knew he needed someone to shoulder a bit of the emotional load here. Is that right, Hazy? I can't imagine you're a big-hearted lug of a thing, and I would have thought that uh, you having to carry what you carried on your own through this might have been a bit too much for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You're probably right, Andy. Yeah.
3: Um, well, you know, Blakey's very good professionally as well as a good mate of mine. Mm. So that was – and he's more experienced in this particular area of comfortably than me so that was a factor too but yeah I think that when you have dealings with someone for a while and they sort of cross over from being professional into another little realm there aren't too many I don't reckon Blakey where that happens like there's a few who sort of get close but um, to me and I'm sure to Blakey it was you know we'd long since crossed that threshold with with Jared and yeah I think you're right I've never thought about it like that but um, you know we were We were part of that. We were in the Loyal household a lot.
4: But up until that that (laughs) time when your three of you celebrated thinking it was over, it was... It was relatively enjoyable, though, wasn't it? Oh yeah, sharing it was fun. story. Yes, yeah. and the, like we, the language, we, the colourful language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah, even. Yeah. I, they've <laughs> got hours of it on their uh, on their phones and whatever of the. Uh, Bryony wants <laughs> to dig us out
2: some of the because uh, <laughs> it's all on tape somewhere in about a million different bits. Our first, the very first uh, taping session we had with Jared was in the Geelong Hospital because he was in hospital. Uh, I can't remember why he was in bright. He'd he'd had a little relapse or something. Uh,
4: oh, it might have been chemo. At maybe that he was stage. having chemo. You know, yeah. So he had
2: the Hickman line in, and he was flat on his back in bed, and he was bored out of his brain. Mm. <laughs> so that was one taping session. We had quite a few down at Torquay at their, you know, at the family home. I don't know where else, Hazel. We had a, maybe one in Golf Australia at one stage. And yeah. uh, look, yep. we laughed we laughed a hell of a lot. Uh, there's no doubt about that. We cried a bit as well. So how did uh, there, the there three was a of few that, tears
1: where, when and you know. I want to focus on, but when, when the sledgehammer hit, you know, three weeks later after, you know, the positive, this, the day of Kensington to the three of you, how did you, how did you cope? How, how did you? Well, I don't think well, that's just really went a, went on a hole, question about
3: basically. Blakey and I. It's more a question of Brian. I, well,
1: you're all in it together in terms of the book to obvious, you know, I mean, your connection is as profound as anyone's clearly, but, um, this moment would have hit the three of you pretty hard, I imagine, given yeah. where you were and then where you found yourself.
4: We actually, along the way, um, when we had one of our first discussions, I think it was at Golf Australia, we met with the publishers. And I, even with Jared in the room, I had yeah. to bring up the scenario of, that. this is before we'd even started recording, I believe, and you know we were just working out the logistics. And I had to bring up the scenario of, if Jared doesn't make it, mm what's our decision around going to be? You know, do you still want to proceed? Um, and at that, that. stage, my, my focus was on um, I just wanted him recorded. Yeah. And what we did with that afterwards, if it ended up in a book or whatever, great, but let's just get his story because he he, we knew he had a lot of time lying around being bored out of his brain and whatever over the coming months. But I had to bring it up that early and I'm sure everyone was quite shocked and thought, you know, almost how dare uh. I. But no, I'm, I didn't I'm think glad how dare was... you. I didn't yeah. think that,
2: but it was it it sort of makes your eyebrows go up. It does yeah. when you hear that. But we we did have to consider all of that. I think emotionally Andy, you know, like the last week or so of Jared's life, I was actually overseas, you know, and I was getting some updates from Hazy and that. Uh, but I think Hazy in particular and, and obviously you bribe it. I know that Hazy did it very tough, and he went in i think hazy about three days before Jared died and uh, he was it was his last sort of he actually went in and said goodbye to him and uh, put the tape on him and that's formed the first chapter of the book harrowing. as a matter of fact, hazy i don't know whether you can speak about that, but it was a pretty it was a, a pretty uh, harrowing <laughs> meeting i think
3: yeah it, it is, and they, all, there's these things will stay with me forever. Um, but I'm always, you know, it's, I'm always, I'm looking across at Brian, Brian, I've shared a lot of moments, I think, but you know, she's, she's done it 25,000 times tougher than I could even contemplate. So yes, in terms of answering that question and for this book, that was brutal. Um, that was in a, a darkened room in Royal Melbourne hospital. Um, the staff were epic <laughs> and Brian left the room. And there was, um, there were a handful of really good mates in there. Um, yeah, like from his Shep days and, and Andy Lee came in and like, they were these really close mates Mm. and I I think the the worst bit of it was asking questions when you really always wanted to hug and talk and say goodbye. Yeah. Um, but he actually did that in front of five blokes and the, and the tapes are just Brutal, like they're, they're, (laughs) they're, they're shocking. I think I played, Bryce said, go and play it. It was like a 20 or 30 second grab, which we played on the show Mm. last year. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was half an hour or 40 minutes of that. And I'm pretty stoic, I think, but I had to go and, I had to go and, um, yeah, just chill out for a while after that. I I would, I'd been sort of driving up and down between Melbourne and where I live in Geelong, but that. I couldn't drive for a while there. That was hard, hard work. And then people would come and scrape you up and you think, suck it up. It's not you. It's, you know, but it's just different by that stage.
2: Um, Andy, I think uh, this might give a little perspective of what this book's like because it's not a morbid book particularly no, because, I to to uh, you know, yeah. being, Jared being Jared, I think in that last meeting, Hazy, did he not crack a joke about where they'd been putting... Catholic. Uh, Catholic, particular, particular orifices that yes. they've been sticking things in in the, in the hospital. Yeah. I he, did hear it.
4: He'd said it quite a few times in the uh, last, yeah, there was what, one. What he,
2: what he said, as I understand it, was that they'd put something in every orifice of his body, yep. but there was one that they were going nowhere near. <laughs> this is a bloke three days yeah, from yep, the end of his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And that's – hopefully we get a bit of that in the book. So
1: to that end, Blakey, uh, and I've just seen the book for the first time, like five minutes before we started having a chat, and Andy Lee, who is a name well-known, I'm sure, to a lot of people listening to the show, uh, has written the forward. And clearly Andy and Jared and you, Bright, and everyone around this table has got to know Andy. Uh, And he said the first paragraph is, don't be fooled into thinking this is a golf story. It's a love story. And he goes on to explain in his forward what that means. And I think it's probably – a nice way of changing gears from the desperation and despair of the end to what is left behind. and that I think every time I think of your husband, I, it, I, it's impossible not to smile like it, it's not I don't you, you live with it so but for me as from a di- from a very distant relationship that I had with Jared, um i I. I the memory of Jared Lowell makes me smile, and mm. that that's what's forever going to be the case, I think. Yeah. It's a bright is question, fit?
3: but for me that's absolutely true because yeah. it happens all the time, I think, about little things that he would say. um, and, and it comes up the more that we talk about the book or doing it for Jared or anything like that. My instinct is to smile. It's its not over it's not, it's, it's rare that you sort of, I have that sober sort of oh moment. Dear. But
1: I remember uh, playing a pro-am with him. It must've been the Vic PGA a hundred years ago at Spring Valley. So I don't even know what year it was, but the northerly was blowing. And if you know Spring Valley and the northerly blows, it blows across the sort of tip the and the tip. blood and bone and the stench can be pretty bad. Well, your husband's turn of phrase, he, I reckon he had a hundred different ways to describe the smell that day, and none of them were repeatable, uh, but every single one of them was bloody hilarious. And yeah. that, I, I go back to that day, oh, like quite a lot, you know, and um, you guys would have had a fair Look, you're smiling, you're smiling, yeah. You're, yeah. you're smiling. You know?
2: I'm, I'm just thinking about what we had to do with the swearing in the book, which is one of the... Hip- <laughs> Primary issues that we had to deal with, as a matter of fact. And a few people have asked me, Well, what are you you doing? If it's Jared, it's going to be full of swearing. So we had a lot of discussion about So many
4: discussions. (laughs) You would have thought something else would be more serious. Did he monitor his
1: behaviour around the girls, or did he? Yes. And that's why
4: I had to try and get it through to these two because Hazy made a point and he said, Every conversation I've ever had with Jared in my life has been. Unrepeatable. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. And yet, and yet for me, he wasn't a swearer and the girls would never have heard him swear. (laughs) So it was, it was really that the kind of the locker room sort of discussion coming out of it. And I didn't realize that every time he would see Hazy, he'd literally turn from me to Hazy and throw in something colorful. (laughs) But, and I haven't heard the tapes so I even I might sit back and go, oh, did he really talk like this to everybody else? That's really horrible. But we had so many discussions about it. The yes. Swearing. Some
3: of the, there's some. There's a one bit got in there. I think. <laughs> I think we twisted Mark Leishman's arm into writing it in the book because <laughs> um, the the book contains how do you describe them, Brian? I
4: think we've called them recollections in the end.
3: Recollections, yeah. Like at the appropriate time, there's probably a half a dozen to ten, maybe I don't know maybe more um recollections in the book from external sources the one with um mark Leishman i i, I think is very funny I, I genuinely think it's funny um and i you know, the, the truth might be sort of vaguely in there somewhere but um it's uh it, it's a very funny story and and it, it's sort of you know the locker room banter
1: yeah of course mm. yeah
3: and and that's i think you know i i hope that we've can you know conveyed a bit of all aspects of Jared in the book. I, I, You know, we don't want to make it all about swearing or all about golf or all about cancer as it's a big, it's a, it's a proper thing. It's yeah. a, it's a movie script.
2: A I, I think it's a cracking story. And, um, uh, I, I can clearly remember Jared saying to us in Geelong hospital that first day when we talked about it, that it, well, maybe it was in the first meeting at golf Australia. He said, I don't want it to be a golf book. I don't want to be yeah. you know, on the next hole. I hit this or it was the last thing he wanted. Yeah. So it's the whole broader story, you know. And Andy, his life is a triumph. He he was thirty six years. You know, he's got a couple of little kids. He's got Bryce still here. Yeah. Um, it was a, pretty, a short life, but a good
1: life. No, it's a pretty deep footprint, I reckon. He leaves behind. Yeah. I, this doesn't sound like a toy question to you, Bryce. But did you learn something about him um, at the end that you maybe didn't already know? Was there, or did you? Was it was pretty much all out there.
4: Um. No, I. uh yeah. oh, I think I'm I think retrospectively I'm learning hmm. things about him. Cause I don't think I mean he was he was my husband. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I don't like to make generalizations, but he was as useless as other people's husbands. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I'm I understand. I am oh, actually the
1: number one ticket holder in <laughs> that club, so. You know, know, like I understand he was a
4: he was a a sportsman and, you know, I think we kind of tend to hold our male athletes you up quite highly. of course, the,
2: the golf expert.
4: The golf expert. <laughs> 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 um But I just, I wasn't buying into that crap. Yeah, you know, if yeah. anyone or he thought he, you know, was different or special for any reason, no, no. you can, yeah. you know, you come home and do a load of laundry and pick up those socks and the hats lying all over the house and your filthy shoes and whatever. you know, (laughs) it was, you know, it was just, it was my husband and he was away all the time. Mm. But, but the responses to what happened to him, I cannot explain it. Cannot explain it. You've never
2: really understood that, have you? No. Yeah. I don't know. I I think, uh, Hazy, what do you think? I think he just, people warm to him. He's just one of those people that he touched a lot of people. He's got remember that, that really special ability, and if you talk to the people at Challenge, in particular Dave Rogers who runs Challenge, he'll speak. He speaks a lot about that, and there's a lot about that in the book. The stuff that he did uh, with Challenge, with other other little kids that were mm. sick and stuff like that. He 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 spent half his life growing up around little kids that were sick.
3: I learned a few things, Andy. A lot, obviously. Obviously, but one of the things is what Blakey was touching on there is that Jared never talked about it, and some people do and. Some people know who those people are. They make a big song and dance about what yep. they do. For charities and stuff. For charities. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Jared didn't do that. And I think he did a lot more than I still know and Blakey still knows. I'm sure Bri knows. But one of the things t- to me, in it, if, if I can have my two bobs worth on what you asked Bri, is that he loved Bri for binding reasons. But one of them was because she saw him and not yeah. an elite. Yeah sports oh, no, person, golfing, or golfing. Yeah. person or a cancer person or a this person or that person. You just, and he liked that because yeah. he knew that she didn't have a faintest idea what a <laughs> titleist was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, they went to school together and didn't have a, she didn't know that he existed and vice versa. Mm. So yeah. it's not like they were in awe of Bri being a musician or Jared being a golfer or anything mm. like that. It's just, they clicked. So I think it's actually really interesting that, um, you know, the person you, he, he could have been surrounded by sycophants who loved golf and money or whatever it was that was his life. Um, but he's with Bry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She saw the real Jared. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how old, are you, how old are the girls now?
4: Seven and three.
1: So when they're, uh, 14 and 10. Or yep. whatever age, they need to be when they can really wrap their heads around the book and the contents. Um, can you imagine what a um, what a gift it is to have this to be able to give to them? Because they'll grow up, and you know, as happens, memories will always remain, but they'll fade to yeah. a degree. Yeah. Particularly with young kids, yeah, they'll try and hang on. I imagine to you know. But for them to be able to, when they're old enough to read a book like this, or have you read it to them, can you imagine what a beautiful thing this is going to be to be able to share with them?
4: Yes. And to be honest, it never, it, throughout the whole process, it hadn't occurred to me. I mean, I, I knew what we were working towards. I knew a book, you know, there's going to be a physical book at the end yeah, of it. Yeah. But it wasn't until I had it in my hand, the first copy, and Lucy saw it, and she's seven, and made a comment about, oh, there's Dad. Dad's on a book, and and I thought you're going to read this book one day, yeah. and it just hadn't really, really sunk in that that's what's going to happen. But interestingly, her one of her first responses to that was, "I can go as myself for book week." <laughs> <laughs> but then, <laughs> and I thought, great, because yeah, you know, yeah. mum of the year here, I don't want to have to come up with some kind of costume or anything. But then she, then she said, do I need, but maybe I need to find the clothes that I'm wearing in the photo, in the book to dress as myself. And so anyway, that and then she said, maybe I can give some of my clothes to my friends and they can dress up as me. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so that's like, it's quite lighthearted <laughs> at the moment. But to think that, you know, she will read it. Mm. And I don't actually think the magnitude of it will really sink in until she's Older, older, yeah, you know, yeah. and even with her own kids and her own husband and, you know, mm. those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure she's likely to pick it up and start reading, you know, any yeah. day now if yeah. I leave one lying around. Yep. Um, but I'm not quite sure if, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens.
1: So the book is Jared Lyle, the inspiring life of one of sports true fighters. Um, it's my story with Mark Hayes and Martin Blake, all royalties and a percentage of proceeds donated to challenge. Um, Blake uh, Hazy mentioned at the start that this is something that is very important to you. Uh, and it goes right to the kind of one of your cause, um, uh, regarding the work that you continue to do. So, um, even people pick the book up and purchase it and know that, um, by doing so, you're going to be helping some people who need some help.
4: Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But the proceeds, um, from every book sold, all the royalties and the proceeds of the books, especially that we sell through Challenge, mm. um, we'll go back into the legacy that we've created in Jared's name, which is called Jared's Gift. Um, and with that, we intend to keep helping the other families and the the kids um, with their own cancer battles, the ones that he would have helped yeah, had he course, still been yeah. here. Yeah.
1: Uh, to the three of you, I haven't read it yet, obviously, but well done, well done, and don't know how you've done it. I don't know how you've stayed upright, but you're a phenomenal human being for doing it. And I reckon the big fella would be enormously proud of you uh, it, it, for what it's worth.
4: He, he would never have read it. He doesn't <laughs> He doesn't read books. So he officially <laughs> has
2: written written
1: one
4: more than, written, than, he wrote, one, yeah. than he read.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's what Murph Hughes said once. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well done to everybody involved. Thanks, Amy. In this. It's great. Brian. Thanks for coming on and being Thank part you. of the show. Thanks, Brian. Lyle, uh, along with the other two blokes who uh, you heard at the start of the show talking about the book that uh, you can pre-order now, but do it through the cancer web uh, through the challenge website. That's the place to go uh, to get hold of your book. Before you sign off yep. on this
3: segment, Andy, just a reminder of what we've been talking about. Doing it for Jared. If you're a yep. club golfer around Australia, get your club involved with it through January through August rather just uh, get the donate the proceeds from one day of club golf um, send it through to challenge sign up at challenge.org.au and get your club to get involved and make sure that Jared's gift kicks along so that you know someone who's having a hard time can get their lawn to mown or there's or, quite a
2: few already isn't there
3: Brian
4: Yeah we're about Approaching 120 clubs, there you I think. Go. That's yeah. great. That's good. And yeah. all the,
3: yeah, all the clubs great. who get involved will be officially recognised in a, a wall of sorts at the Australian PGA Championship at Royal Pines in December. Yeah, um, I think, want December. To have you, know, I think
1: December. you want to have your name on that list. Yeah, yeah I, th- like, I, think like, I, I just think it.
3: that you need to be seen to be part of
1: the community if you're not already. Yep. Uh, we're going to break everyone inside the ropes. Back to wrap up the show after this.
4: Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian golf's national junior program. One of my favorite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au.
3: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, that segment with Bri became a little bit too much for Andy emotionally, I think. Blakey, we've had to cut him we've had to cut him loose. Um how uh, She's
2: fabulous, isn't she? Yeah. How good. What, what she's doing and continuing on that work. It, it's just just brilliant. And uh I must say, mate, I'm very proud of the book. I think it's it's a great read. And yeah. uh I hope people appreciate it.
3: Yeah. Congrats to you too. I'm Thank you. um yeah, I'm proud of it. It's weird when you look down and see uh, you know, our names on something that was such a, you know, it wasn't, a, it was a journey, wasn't it? It was a, um, but yeah, it's, uh, all condensed into a little blue and black book now. And mm. hopefully people can take on board what his his life's all about. So yeah, thank you. And congratulations. Let's move on um uh, back into the the world of golf, and um, there's there's been so much going on, and we've both been collecting collecting notes here, so we might cross over and apologize if we do, but I think the a couple of key things to set off this uh, wrapping up the world part of inside the ropes. It's the continuation, as Andy mentioned earlier, of the women's major championship season this week uh, in France in the...
2: Sp- Le Bas. Oh, look at you go. <laughs> You've been practicing I love that. saying that. I, I yeah. must go to that tournament one day because I just like saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it is um, a beautiful part of the world. Oh, it's magnificent. It Overlooking Lake
3: awesome. Geneva. It's just, it's unbelievable. Um, the best thing about this event this year is it's been brought forward from the potentially sketchy weather of the European autumn Yeah. Uh, back in sort of late August, early September, right up towards, um, you know, realistically the height of their summer in late July, so we're going to have two week stretch here, where we've got uh, the Evian Championship, and then back over the English Channel again next week for the Women's British Open, um, and we're going to have uh, Justin Falconer there helping us out with a bit of stuff through Evian uh, this next week, as well as Ali Whitaker and, and then Ali presses on to do uh, other things as well through the European summer. So we've got plenty of uh, more insights coming from Europe in the next few weeks. What, what's your take on? Well, let, 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 uh, if I if I couch this in the sort of referencing the LPGA Tour event of this week, Blakey, uh, Minji Lee and Jin Young Ko shot a 58 on the final round, which was brought forward today so that they could all travel across to Europe. They shot a 58 and uh, they lost to... Um, uh, Sawanapura. So, so oh, now I'm going to have to look for a her name here, but it was a Thai golfer, Sawanapura,
2: Jasmine Sawanapura, and at uh, Sydney, Sydney Clanton,
3: Clanton. who um, remarkably so that was, a, kind of a, kind that was of a team thing. Yeah, it was it's, not unlike the Zurich on the men's side of things. So, yeah. so it was two rounds of four ball, two rounds of foursomes. Um, Clanton and Sawanapura shot 59 <laughs> with with a 58 coming at him from the world number two and number four, uh, and held held tough which I think is phenomenal golf, like under the gun, for yeah. two people with amazing stories. Sawanapura broke her back three years ago and never thought they she may never play again. And Sydney Clanton lost her card by $8 at the end of last year. So she's actually not a full LPGA Tour member and they've hung on against two great players. I
2: wonder, do they get a, a full exemption?
3: They do? Yeah. Um. I'm not sure of the impact on the rankings. They get mm. half the cash each. So I think that the two winners get approaching quarter of a million U.S., uh, each, which is you know a great result um, for them. I'm not sure where it sits on the on the Rolex rankings for them, but they do get um, Clanton, for example, get which she didn't have with status, and now she's got two years exemption. So I think the um, it was a great uh, new format for the women's tour. I think they played it a day earlier, which was also good. They're doing all the right things, the LPGA tour, and they've set those our Minji in particular in train to get to Europe in good form.
2: Well, uh, that was my take on it, was that Minji Lee, uh, Aussie Minji Lee, got to number two in the world, what, a month ago, yep. six weeks ago, and because she, she, she won in LA earlier in the year, and we were all starting to talk about whether she could make number one in the world, and it is her, her aim to do that. Uh, she's been in a flat spot yep. since. She's just you know been a little bit off for a few weeks. So for her to go and play that event with another player – Who's a great, you know? We've both know Jin Young Ko. She's a great personality, great fun. So, that would have been, you know, I reckon it's probably ideal for Minji Lee. Yep. And uh, look, look out! I mean, hasn't won a major yet. It's going to come at some point. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's this week in France. Uh, I, I'm really
3: high hopes that we could get a second major champion. Who knows, H- Hannah Green's <laughs> Hannah Green. Came out of nowhere to, you know, in sense of winning a major, not not a tour event. But
2: Hannah um, hasn't played uh, since her victory. No, that's right. Uh, um, how's that going to sort of work for her? Because it, it, it would have been a big letdown for her once she came home. I mean, obviously extremely exciting, but we know that she came home for, you know, a few weeks and spent a lot of time with family. That's all very well. But can she get back on the horse?
3: Well, she budgeted to have this, a break. Um, she just took it one week earlier um, instead of playing in Arkansas. She went when she was home. was coming home anyway. Yeah. So yeah. she she basically added a week to her holiday. Spent most of that week doing media. Uh, I don't think it's would have disrupted her uh, schedule at, as it was six months ago too much. I know that she had a did the media for a week, did family and stuff without clubs for a few days, but then since then she was back grinding again and doing stuff with Richie Smith to get it from that three that she told us about. Uh, on Inside the Ropes a few weeks ago with her driving. So um, who knows? I, you don't know how it's going to impact her. I think it's more of a mental thing. I think her swing will be fine. So I think the interesting one for me at Evian always is Catherine Kirk. Yeah. She's been there the last two years without having had any form realistically in the early part of the LPGA Tour season, and she's contended twice. Uh, and I, th- I, I, I think she's got a great feel for the course. Um, this year around, she's actually done quite a bit in the lead up. So,
2: you know, we're probably overly excited, I think, by our, our chances I at think having... uh, Sue O from Melbourne, yep. you know, she's having a pretty good year as well. Yeah, I, I've been impressed by what she's been able to do. So, uh, you know, obviously Sue had great expectations around her going back through four years ago when she started and she has struggled at times, but uh, this year, pretty solid. So, And her I, good
3: is good. Oh, very good. Yeah, Yeah. I think one of the interesting things for me with back-to-back majors the next two weeks in separate countries, uh, and particularly for most of the tour being um, either North American or Asian based, this is a long way from home. And I don't think I think it would be very hard to expect the winner of this week to back up and win the Women's British Open. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. I haven't got the faintest idea who I mean talking about this. That we don't see the best of everyone at Evian, Mm. I think that majority of the field will taper for what's now a tournament that's coming of age in my in my eyes the women's British Open uh, the big prize money boost we spoke of a couple of weeks ago yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's hard to maintain your absolute a game in terms of effort and concentration for two weeks of, yeah. uh, of uh, so I think we probably will see um, some of the women focus on one or of the other one or the other but not both so don't be surprised if you see a couple of big names uh, not fare so well at the Evian. Be surprised if you see him fail miserably at both. Mm. But cut him some slack this week. Yeah. Uh, back to the men's tour. We've uh, we mentioned earlier, Blakey, you know, I know you've been following it. the, the fortunes
2: of Brett Coletta. So Brett coletta has been playing on the Corn Ferry Tour, which for all of our listeners who haven't been across it, is the new name for the web.com tour, and it makes us smile every time. Uh, Brett Coletta finished uh, tied fourth in that event this morning in Omaha, uh, which is a great result for him because he's just coming off a runner-up in a previous event. So, Hazy, I think he's very close to, you know, I don't think he's sealed his card, no. his PGA Tour card, but he is in the in the 25 who will get cards at the end of the year right as we speak. I think he might be about 22nd. And Jamie Arnold from Sydney, who's, you know, a mid-30s <sighs> guy – uh, he also finished tied fourth, as I understand. it. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah same score. Threatened to win it. Um, they were behind the winner. From and he's Norway. also pushing up.
3: Christopher Ventura sounds more like a professional wrestler than a uh, than a golfer in uh, Blakey. But um, Jamie Arnold. Oh my goodness! For the second week in a row on this show, we're going to lament what coulda, shoulda, woulda happened. Um, what just instead of celebrating a tied for fourth, which is Helped him get up into the mid-30s in that race for the top 25 cards. He's sitting there promoting a double bogey on a par 5, the 15th, when he was one shot from the lead, comfortably in second position, which would have had him nearly, you know, almost with a hand, a fingertip on a card. Doubled the 15th with a 7 for the second week in a row. Double on a par 5 on the last round. And yeah. then backed it up with a bogey on the 16th and fell, dropped three shots back into this, the tie for fourth. I really feel for him. That's got to be haunting him right now.
2: Yeah, two different guys, aren't they? Like Colletta, obviously a gun amateur who's in the early phases of his pro career. You know, he had big raps on him, almost won the Asia Pacific and all that sort of stuff. He's been playing in Canada. And then Jamie Arnold, who's mid-30, 35, I'm going to say, You know, had shocking wrist injury that's ruined, you know, a big part of his career, and now he's coming back. So, look, those two guys. Just keep an eye on those two guys on the secondary tour the next few weeks. There's a a few tournaments to go, but right at the moment they're they're in the slot to get their card to play on the on the PGA Tour, which would be huge, and in the Barbasol as well. Hazy the Barbasol Championship, which is actually full PGA Tour event. Uh, Matt Jones had a great result there, and Cam Davis, you would have noticed. Had a good result as as well. So Matt Jones finished tied fourth. He shot nine under today, Matty Jones. Wow. Uh, he was still a few shots off off being a, a you know a, a main tour event. You know it was very low scoring, but I think the result of that for Matt Jones is that he's going to be he's going to be okay for next year. He's good to go. And uh, Cam Davis, who we spoke about last week, is you know a former Australian Open champion brilliant young player but who's been struggling uh he shot 64 today to finish tied 11th so uh in terms of FedEx Cup points he's still outside the the 125 that would get into the the playoffs but um and and keep his card for next year but he's certainly put himself in a position now like he only needs probably one more result like that Similar result to that, a top 10, something like that, and he, he should be okay. And definitely, Cam Davis, I would say, as a result of that, is going to be at the very least in the 125 to 200 area where you get conditional starts. So he's going to be staying in America and playing. And as, as you know, we're both big admirers of Cam, you know, he's a he's a tremendous young player. So uh, well done to him. Just a, it's an, been an amazing
3: northern summer for Australia in, in North America, and it continued also, Blakey, in another. Couple of uh, realms, I suppose. Um, the big one that caught my eye over the weekend was um, Gabby Ruffles. Yeah. Uh, so we're moving to the amateur game here. Gabby Ruffles uh, fought out an epic all-Australian final, if you don't mind, against Dowie Choi. So the Victorian so North South Amateur. Yeah, the North and South, South Amateur. It played at the uh, famous Pinehurst Number no. Two course. Mm. Um, Gabby was the runner-up there last year. Um, almost a bolt from the blue at that stage. She's obviously had a massive year playing for the University of Southern California in NCAA golf this year, uh, which only recently ended. And subsequently has had a huge couple of months. So she's uh, competed, like qualified and competed in the U S women's open. She then went back to uh, this is all around playing in the NCAA finals, um, went back to Japan and played a professional event over there, Played really well in both that and the US Women's Open. Didn't make the cut in either, but, you know, had a good experience. And she's taken it back to Pinehurst, which she loves. And all the Aussie girls there this week posed for a photo for Anna Maria Ruffles, which was awesome. And it just, was a huge contingent of them there and a couple of Kiwis as well. Um, They put in a really big showing at one of the, it's a time-honored event. This is the longest consecutive running amateur event in the world. It's one of the big ones, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely one of the big ones. and. She's, it was the 119th consecutive, I think it was. Mm. They played it through the wars. It was the only one that, that didn't stop through both wars. Um, and the honor roll is amazing. And uh, the, I think f- four of the recent winners have gone on to win on the LPGA Tour, and you know, in, including major championships, uh, Yanni Seng, for example. So yeah. Doe Choi from Sydney uh, was a couple up early in, the go- early in the early going in the final against Gabby. Uh, and Gabby peeled off three in a row. Uh, Dowie got it back to square on the birdie on the 11th, and then a, a magnificent birdie on a tough 14th hole, the par four 14th. Um, an epic way, really, to seal the deal. So she basically carried that one up lead through and had a conceded birdie on the last um, to go to win technically two up, but it really it was one shot in it the whole way. Be really proud of both Aussie girls to do it, and particularly,
2: obviously, the win for Gabby Ruffles. Yeah, I think you know both of us have been watching Gabby come through for a couple of years now. Uh, for those of us, our listeners who who don't know the backstory, Gabby is the younger sister of Ryan Ruffles, Australian pro, uh, and her father and mother are both tennis pros of, of a very high calibre. Ray Ruffles was a Davis Cup player for Australia, and uh, Anna Maria was... You know, an, an outstanding tour tennis player as well. So, Gabby was a tennis player until I'm going to say 14, yeah. something like that. Yep, uh, didn't hadn't really played any golf and then never just, once. You know, watching, watching Ryan play and that, and you know, she her her incremental improvement has just been astronomical, if that makes any sense, because she's only 18, and Andy's sort of hashtag, you know, golden era comes to mind because she, you know. Th- she has a lot play, of upside. First... And so does Doey Choi, but, yeah, you know, Gabby, you know, she can really make it happen. And, you know, I, I
3: keep banging on about um, interstate series. Uh, you know, I first yeah. watched these two play against each other in an interstate series three three years ago, maybe in Perth. Um, you know, th- it's not that far from the interstate series to where Hannah Green and Minji Lee are now in this instance. So, you know, there's a lot of steps to take, obviously, but... It's quality golf, and um, I think the young girls coming through can you know take heart from that. Um, and
2: the U.S. girls amateur is on this week.
3: Yeah, the the girls I amateur, mean, correct. And Grace Kim and Madison Hinson Tolshart are the yeah. uh,
2: Aussie representatives. And they're both
3: in good form. I know that Grace Kim, who's one of the very few exempt entries into that tournament, uh, and she's got a proven record of winning things when she sticks her nose in the frame.
2: And she's, uh, she's had a, her week uh, at the you know U.S. Women's PGA as well. That's with, right. You know, with Kari. And, the house you know, that Kari just, built. Yeah. So we've got high
3: hopes for both of them there. That's up in Wisconsin. And the last week just gone, the, uh, the boys' equivalent. Um, the best effort there in terms of advancing was Josh Greer, who made it down to the round of 32. Uh, without his A game, he told me during the week, um, just didn't have his best stuff. But still, he's got, he's got that happy knack uh, of being able to score when he, um, around the greens, He's uh, an unusual game, a crafty game, sort of a Lowry sort of a game, uh, not as powerful yet, obviously just a, a young, uh, lithe young man, but he did really well there. Carl Phillips, Connor McKinney who, um, and Elvis Smiley all made it through to match play, which was great. Terry Yoon and Tony Chen didn't, but Josh Greer, uh, had one match play win there before he got bundled out, but a good result there for the, um do you remember, Joondalup in Perth, Blakey. So that was a good effort.
2: What else have we got coming up in amateurs? Uh, Hazy? Uh, well, it's all British a... amateur coming up soon? Yes.
3: Yeah, it? uh, no, the British amateur's been run and done, okay. but there's there's a couple of other ones back in the UK, but the, the, the big part of the season, I think the Pacific uh, amateur is on this week and then we head to the Western and then we into the... US, the AM, yeah, yep. we're, we're all around the states for the next few year, few weeks. A whole host of Aussie men, in particular, have qualified for the USM coming up. Uh, a couple of um, couple of youngsters made it last week. Geordie uh, Garner. Um, Josh Armstrong added to the already strong contingent. We've David McBaludsey will be there. He'd yeah. And got, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll report more on that in coming weeks. But so there's Western, there's Pacific, there's the Canadian amateur, then we get into the US. And that's probably true of the men's and women's game. So hmm. a big month or so in amateur golf coming up there. Um, last thing from me, uh, the PGA Tour China. Um, absolute downpour of almost biblical proportions up in Guangzhou, you stick with your French pronunciations. I'm going with Guangzhou. <laughs> That's Guangzhou. Thank you very much. Um, we had uh, an event cut short to 36 holes, would you believe? Which sort of doesn't even feel much like a tournament. But Aaron Wilkin uh, was among the people who finished tied third there. Uh, he was a little bit a little back um, from the winner, Max McGreary, from uh, from the United States. But Kevin Yuan, Tim Stewart, Bryden McPherson, James Marcazzani were all in the top 26. So we'll take nice little uh, earners away from Guangzhou. Uh, continues our good collective form up there, I think. So it's all coming along pretty nicely for Australian golf.
2: Excellent. Who's the Aussie of the week
3: this week? Uh we haven't decided that yet, and we oh. are recording this on Monday, so we haven't. Our Aussies on tour thing that we put on golf. dot org. dot au website going to. We're going to have a heated debate. We might give it to an amateur
2: for the first time. You just never know. Well, the uh, you know it's interesting, Hazel. That you know John Huggan was writing about the, this morning about the, that's the end of the major season for for men now already. We're we're just at the end of. July and we're finished. We've got that thing called the FedEx Cup, which neither you or I, you know, particularly care that much about, but uh, they've left some space clear for that. So really, our, our focus, you know, from my point of view, and I'm sure you're the same, is going to be on the, the women's majors for the rest of this year. Absolutely. And then, of course, we're working into the working into the uh, summer in Australia with the Presidents Cup, Australian Open, Australian PGA. It
3: is a bit of a weird feeling to not have, you know, be on.
2: Yeah, basically mid July and have no more men's major championships. It's an interesting calendar they're building. It is because it seems to me like the the main players, the ones who don't have to worry about their their cards, etc. They're they're ignoring a lot of other tournaments and just you know they, they're they're going to go to sleep now. You know, I agree.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I'm I can't wait to see how all the Aussie girls do at uh, your favorite tournament, Blakey.
2: Evian, well, it's the Evian Masters, is it? But it's, it's at Evian Le Bains. <laughs>
3: That's probably not even correct. Oh, no, I like that. We'll a find lot. out No, later. I like that a lot. Uh, well, that's it for episode 112 of Inside the Ropes. As you, as we said earlier, uh, log on to challenge.org.au, not only to get your copy of the Jared Lyle My Story book, but also to commit your club to hashtag doing it for Jared in the month of August, um, committing a few shekels to a great cause. Um, thanks, Blakey. You've come, no worries, come in. Um, Thank you. appreciate your time, and thanks to Andy for earlier on, and of course... Brony Lyle, and that's it for Inside the Ropes, episode number 112.